0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pure Football Podcast. My name's Gavin Miller and as ever I'm joined with my main man, my stats man, Owen Brown. I felt like I had to improve off our first take so you're my main man and my stats man. How does that make you feel Owen? Uh, it feels great. How, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, I, I wonder,
1: does anybody at the start of these kind of podcast things, do they ever reply other than they're great? You know, is there anybody that kind of breaks down into kind of emotional outpouring? <laughs> of, <laughs> they're not actually that that well. Um, that's not how I feel, so don't worry. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs>
0: yeah, Pure depression. That's what this is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah... Uh, so f- first off, um, I think it's it's right we um, we do a quick recap of the the games that happened at the weekend there. Um, so start we'll start with um, you know the the relegation battle. There was uh, a huge late blow for uh, Dundee against Ten Men Motherwell. Did you manage to see any of the highlights of this game at all? Yeah, I've watched what? the
1: highlights of this. Yeah, what about you? What did you make of it?
0: Yeah, I I just feel that like Dundee are pathetic. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think there was a
1: there was a lot of bad stuff going on in this game. But yeah,
0: what what do you think was pathetic about Dundee specifically? They just look so unorganized for a team fighting for their lives. They just mm. and and Mother was you know David Turnbull was obviously outstanding again, and uh, you know the young kid up front uh, who got his first goal uh, is it James Scott or Jamie Scott? Um, mm. He looked pretty good, and Cadden came back into the fold. But just it just seems so disjointed at Dundee and um, I think it's it's quite embarrassing for a team that's fighting for their life that this is uh, the best that they can come up with you know 10 men motherwell who had nothing to play for um, managed to score four goals against them I heard that one of the Dundee players was time-wasting when it was three each, when oh really they God. need to be... <laughs> <laughs> They've got to win games. Like, That's they isn't it?
1: They are screwed, but you know if they could win a couple of games, at least they could put a wee bit of pressure on. Yeah, but yeah, so, um, I thought the... Yeah. The defender in this game was abysmal on both sides, and I know that for a pretty reasonable chunk of the game, Motherwell were down to uh, ten men. With yeah, shout out to my guy Goran, who um, clearly I set him up to fail by giving him such praise on last week's uh, <laughs> <laughs> episode. But two silly yellow cards, and, and yeah, he 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 went, and then Turnbull decided that that was what he needed to actually just decide that he was going to be a one man. Uh, midfield show Um, but I I thought that Motherwell's defending was pretty bad again at times but yeah, like you say, uh, Dundee's defending was awful at at times you know, just people kind of standing about in the box watching what was going to happen so, yep, uh, disappointing to see and and yeah, a a pretty bad hammer blow at the end for them to lose
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think just one quick shout out I think to David Turnbull, his performances this year has been incredible, he obviously had a clean sweep at the um, awards for Motherwell and it's well and truly deserved and I think um, Alan Burrows, the chief executive, uh, put on Twitter that he's the most technical player that Motherwell have ever produced um, or something along those those lines or maybe it was the last 20 years so that's really exciting and uh, I think Turnbull's a, a real asset and I hope Motherwell can, can maximise this one unlike Hastie. Um sure. So moving on to Hamilton Livingston, another high scoring game, three each. And <laughs> um, teams fighting for the life um, again like Hamilton just not able to shut up shop and uh, from being 2 nil up they were 3-2 down um, I think a lot of people are saying that Brian Rice has uh, got them more attacking um, and playing better football but the more that I've watched of them it doesn't really seem to have changed that much um, mm. and I can't say that I'm overly excited for another season of Hamilton sorry to any Hamilton fans that are listeners was there anything you took away from this game? Did you manage to see this one?
1: Uh, just the highlights of this one. But again, it was pretty bad defending on both teams. I thought that some of the defending for Livingston, um, obviously they were without Hal at the back this week due to sending off the previous week. Um, but And Ed had Odolphin coming in as a sort of right-sided centre-back. Um, but I thought a lot of Livingston's defending, particularly things you might consider him to be, Quite natural, uh, like defending high balls into the box and stuff. It didn't look particularly good, um, which was kind of worrying, and obviously um, that's. Uh, you know, three goals that they've conceded to Hamilton—that's pretty pretty poor. Um, I I, I didn't think that Hamilton looked very good either. Again, they were pretty bad at defending at points. Um, they looked really bad again at defending from set pieces, which was something that we kind of picked up previously. Um, just the kind of structure there and stuff isn't quite right. Um, and yeah, I I I don't know. I mean, I I, I probably am not as down on them as, as you sound like you are. <laughs> But I certainly, I think from when the appointment came in and when there was a kind of run of results, I don't think we were completely into this narrative that Rice had suddenly transformed the team in some way. Um, I I don't think we ever really saw that um, significant a change. Um, I'm not entirely sure if there's still um, a really clear sense of what they're trying to do, for me at least. Um, But yeah, a bit bit of a messy game. Exciting, loads of goals. I, I thought overall there was... A lot of bad defending this weekend in terms of both structure and um, individually, and that game certainly had plenty of that. Yeah. What 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 did you make of the other games? What what other one did you see? Part of uh,
0: yes. So uh, Saint Mary and Saint John's again. I managed to, mm. to get the highlights of this one, and um, I uh, I was blown away by Danny Mullins' goal. Uh, fantastic finish um, mm-hmm. from from you know in that. The, the last minute, what that might mean to St Mirren, mm. um, you know, it gives them a chance of not being in the automatic, uh, or sorry, being in the playoffs, yep. um, because if, I think if they lost that, that was pretty much all but done. Mm. Um, so the fact that they've still got that chance, and I think they play Hamilton, is it the next game or the last game of the season? It's um, very soon. I think that's that's very, very soon. Like uh, So,
1: yeah, lots to look forward to in terms of a couple of games near the bottom there. Um, I thought that, yeah, that was an incredible last-minute goal um, to, to tie it for some Mirren, which, like you say, could be a vital result. Um, I kind of hate to keep going on about it, but I feel that, again, there was quite a bit of poor defending in this game. Um so St Johnston left out Shaughnessy. I think that um, they've come out and basically said that because he's probably not going to sign a contract renewal, um, that in effect they are t- testing out what's possibly going to be their partnership at the back for next season in terms of uh, Jason Kerr and Liam Gordon, and that's why Shaughnessy's you know on the bench and, and maybe won't start a game again for them this season. But I thought that defending, not necessarily from those two guys, but just in general, was pretty poor from St. Johnston. I think St. Mirren got a lot of joy um, on the, the right wing, um, and so that's maybe something for people to look out for next week. If um, St. Johnston have the same sort of formation and team selection again, that that might be a, a weak zone for them, because St. Mirren were definitely advancing the ball well in that, that area.
0: Yeah, St. Johnston specifically, the, the midfield that they've got, Callahan, Davidson and Craig, just gives me nightmares. Um, it's just three cloggers who are just <laughs> going to kick people and kick the ball along. Um, and it's it's a shame because St. Johnston do have one or two good young players. I, I do rate Jason Kerr. Hmm. Liam Gordon's looked okay. Um, Callum Henry up front has done all right since he's came in. Hmm. Um, so these, these players are, you know... The midfield's probably the most important part of any structure or any formation. Um Well not really if you I decide to operate idea. as a team sort
1: of without one. So I mean St Johnston are pretty happy to, you know, drop into a very deep block and just kind of block from the edge of the box. So maybe cloggers are kind of um, you know, in in a manager's view, they're what he needs for that setup. Not not that that's necessarily what I would want to pay to go and see or, or how I would want to play football, but you know, maybe they fit his purpose, you might say.
0: Yeah, I guess, I guess you know what, they are fit for purpose um, for Tommy Wright's system, but what I just think of, so the, the top six, if St Johnston wanted to get in there, I don't think that set up is the way to get into the top six, I don't think trying to grind your way into the top six is going to be the way that's going to get, get you there, I think you need to be a bit more adventurous and a bit more... Um, creative whereas i feel that st John's really are lacking in that department overall um you know ricky foster is a fullback and he's had a fairly decent season but he's going to be 34 35 whatever it is um that's not acceptable for for a fullback um as a creative outlet so so yeah uh moving on to um, we'll go to the Edinburgh derby uh, owen i think you managed to catch this game what did you make of that
1: yeah i saw love this game um it was it was pretty uh interesting to watch um I thought that the Hearts midfield um maybe give them a give a better account of themselves this time around than in the last um Edinburgh Derby. Um hips still I think um were the better team and obviously they had the missed penalty and a couple of other chances. Um but Hearts did really well, I I guess to get um, you know, the equaliser with a bit of um well we've talked about Uche Piuza before, um and his kind of combination of unique skills, so he certainly kind of managed to bundle the ball through. I thought that was really bad defending, um, to be honest. I mean, he's clearly a very difficult person to deal with, um, but the way that two players were kind of sucked into him and both didn't manage to combat it at all, and then McLean did really well to um, set it up for him, but that was... There was this point defending. Um, but yeah, it, it was an interesting game. <laughs> I thought on en, on, excuse me, uh, Omionga, on <laughs> um, who we've kind of talked about before, um, was pretty good. Maybe playing a little bit too far out to the left side, for me, I would like to be able to see him have a bit more influence th- through the middle at times. Um, but yeah, that was it was an interesting game. Um, yeah, and, well, I th- yeah, I thought again, we're pretty, seeing... Pretty um, to, to watch.
0: So I thought the first half in particular, it was... Fairly even, maybe Hart slightly edged it in the first half for me, but then uh, I think you've seen again that um, Heckenbottom made just slight adjustments at half-time. He obviously took Camberi off, um, brought on Slivka, changed the structure, changed the formation, um, and uh, Hibbs sorry, uh, I would say dominated pretty much all the second half up until um Hart's got their, their late equaliser from Ucci, who obviously... Heard us slandering him um, for his goal scoring. Um, so yeah, um, but <laughs> I think what one thing I want to get your take on, what did you think about um, Hearts bringing in Cochrane and Smith into the middle? Do you think that would be something that you'd like to see moving forward?
1: Uh, Well, I wasn't surprised that they did something like that, given that their season in terms of league is effectively sort of finished. um, And they're clearly wanting to kind of save people for the cup final. Um, So I wasn't too surprised that there were some changes in there. Um, I thought that Smith in particular did really well. He's 17. Um, I'd seen him play um, last month, I guess that was for the Scotland under 17s. Um, And I thought he and Cochrane both coped really admirably with the situation it was nice to see Cochrane. you know obviously somebody that played a, a lot more last season has struggled for game time this season so it was nice to get him to see him get an opportunity again and, and do well um so do I want to see them play more yes absolutely um ideally not to be starting just in games uh where you know maybe the the kind of There's there's less kind of importance as maybe Levine thinks that the kind of league situation is uh, sort of towards finished. Uh, Maybe maybe we could hope to see them play a more um, you know more more considerable minutes spread out throughout the season next season. That'd be what I would hope for.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I think um, it's it's a difficult one for hearts because we all know in the summer if craig levine's still there he's going to sign another 13 players like he does every other transfer window and these you know youth players are just going to be forgotten about um a la harry cochran who um just disappeared this season um but yeah uh we'll just need to wait and see on that one i guess um so moving on to the rangers and aberdeen game um so uh what was your thoughts on this one did you have anything to take away from this one
1: uh, yeah, well, I only saw the highlights of this, so my um, views on this is, is limited um, due to that. Um, what did I think about this? I, I thought Aberdeen looked a bit flat. Um, it looked to me like maybe they were there wasn't enough going on midfield for them, and, and clearly, you know, Shinny's out. That has a big impact. And it was, I believe, it was Ferguson and, and Gleeson that were the, the central midfield. And then they're kind of playing with a system where they have both. You know essentially four players ahead of those i think maybe at rain against rangers Ibrox, you maybe need a bit more in midfield than that it looked to me like there was very little pressure on the ball when rangers had the ball in midfield um and uh, as a result it looked like um also aberdeen were sitting quite deep maybe deeper than what you'd want to play against the foe you know a, a, an older i know that the four is sharp in the box but as an older forward Somebody who's traditionally been just a penalty box player in general for all his career, you might want to play a bit higher, um, you know, so that he doesn't have those penalty box opportunities so much. So those would be my criticisms from the kind of things that I saw of Aberdeen. It seemed like they made very, very little themselves in terms of uh, chances. Um, On the contrary, it looked like Rangers... Although their goals came from two penalties, it looked like they made loads of opportunities. So things seemed to be working pretty well for them with their kind of um, formation tweak and, and how their midfield's working at the moment. What, what about you? What was what was?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I managed to get uh, all of this game in, and and your summary's pretty spot on. Aberdeen, the the setup just seems so wrong from the start. Um, there was very little pressing on Rangers' back four. They were able to get the ball um, to to Davis, who was pretty much splitting between the, the centre-backs and taking the ball, um, and there were there was no pressure on him, you know, again, that's someone who's out of a an older age, who you think, you know, maybe if you put him mm. under pressure, he might make a mistake, yep. or uh, give the ball away, or something like that, just, there was nothing, there was no, mm. there wasn't even the physical battle, um, yeah, absolutely. you know, Sam Cosgrove was well and truly handled by Katic, who I think done great since he's came back into the team. That's impressive, yes. He's done uh, very and that's well. him going up two, against Butchie and Cosgrove in the past two weeks. are probably the most physical strikers. Um, yeah, so I think that's good. And uh, and Glenn Kamara, again, I know that um, we're well and truly invested in Glenn Kamara and I thought he had another fantastic game. He just, he goes about his business so quietly, just doesn't make mistakes, pivots really well on the ball, always finds a pass, is always available for a pass, wins yeah. the ball back and just... Uh, recycles moves you know for the, for the Rangers to, to press forward pretty quickly um, I think in terms of uh, Defoe obviously had the one chance where Joe Lewis makes a pretty good save he, I personally thought that he should have scored rather than it being a good save I just thought he made it easier for Joe Lewis but um it was still a good save nonetheless. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought the second one... Did you have any thoughts on I, I the would, penalties? Did you think they were soft? I saw what replays there were on the SPFL
1: YouTube um, channel. And I would have liked to have seen a replay from the other side, from you know the, the side that the corner kick taker was on. Because I, I couldn't really see exactly what happened with um, the, the the hand against the, the Rangers player. So that, that looked... I don't know. I wasn't sure about that one. The second one, I mean, you if you when sorry, the first one rather. If you're kind of making challenges like that, you know, 6 yards, 8 yards from your goal, then, you know, you're putting yourself in trouble there. So, I I I thought it looked like he probably did clip him for the first one. Yeah. But the the the, the second one, I'm 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 not entirely sure about. I'd need to see some better angles to really speak on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought Yeah, I think um my take on it is pretty much the same. I thought the first one was a penalty uh, and the second one, it was pretty soft. I think Katic made a bit of a meal out of it. Um, but I guess Considine, he does raise his arm, doesn't have to raise his arm. Um, and I think,
1: I mean, I don't know. I always have sympathy for people when they're jumping like that. Um, I'm, I don't think, I, I can't imagine why as a defender you'd be looking to deliberately foul somebody in a way like that, that's such an inefficient way of fouling somebody in the box. If your goal is there to stop them getting a header off to stop them scoring, there are better ways you can foul somebody to do that. Um I don't think that it, it's an I don't th- I don't really think that was an intentional way to foul him based on the angles I've seen. That doesn't mean it's not necessarily a foul, but I just think that I don't I'm not sure that Constantine did it deliberately um to, to you know to foul him. Yeah. Um, that would be my take I would want to see another replay and, and I'm not sure about whether clearly if the referee thinks it's been a deliberate attempt to strike somebody in the face then yes a card is necessary but based on what I've seen of the angles at least I don't know if a card would be necessary in my view but that's because I'm not entirely sure that it was an intentional attempt to kind of hurt him although you could say it's still dangerous so yeah
0: yeah okay so moving on to the final game of the weekend and that was Celtic against Kilmarnock um so this was the early kickoff on Saturday. Um, what was your takeaways from this game on?
1: This was an absolute snooze fest. This game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now. Um, uh, Celtic are a bit tough to watch at the moment. I'm going to be honest. Um, so they had uh, 27 shots in this game, but only six of them were on target. I thought for the the a, a long stretch from the start onwards, um, Celtic were quite poor, pretty boring. Um we've talked a little bit and I'm sure we'll come on to ta- in tonight's show about um some slight stylistic changes but they they really in my view in this game um were kind of devoid of ideas of how they were gonna create really good scoring chances. Um they 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 weren't creative and they were making some sloppy errors at the back. There were a couple of opportunities for um Klemarnik as well. Um and and yeah, they they got a goal in the end. But um, it was and it was a brilliant header by Simonovic, and you know we should obviously say that it was um, quite incredible as well that it was by their their number five with sixty seven minutes on the clock. Yeah, it was awesome. In the week when uh, you know number five McNeil had passed away, so that was sensational for Celtic fans. Um, but yeah, in terms of the game, uh, boring and, and more of an example of maybe some struggles at the moment for Celtic in terms of creating chances and, and breaking down teams.
0: Yeah, I I find it really. Um... Similar to yourself, what I one of my big takeaways was um, Tom Rogic sh- was just shooting as soon as he got the ball. It was like he just wanted to shoot, and it was it wasn't like he was looking for the pass that you would sort of associate with his game. It wasn't looking like for that you know killer through ball into Edward or nothing. It was just turn shoot, and it was just a complete waste. And it meant that you know Comanic regained possession. Celtic have to start again. Um, I think one of the huge issues that Celtic really need to address. As a, the fullback area, Lustig and Izagiri offered absolutely nothing. I thought, um... and I think that's so important when you know you're facing a deep
1: block. Your full-backs for a team like Celtic, who are possession dominant, um, you need your fullbacks to stretch those defenses, to keep them honest, to be able to pull people wide, and, and you know create overloads, perhaps get cutbacks into the box for um, Sinclair or Forrest to finish off, to then. Make the space so that if you do move it quickly and it comes back to Rogic in the middle, if he wants to take shots, then there's actually space open because you're spreading defence wider. So I absolutely agree with you that the the fact that Celtic have got two fullbacks in their 30s who are, who are already not the most mobile or technically accomplished going forward, even when they were of a peak age period, is just... Um, it's not good. Um, so yeah, I think that really uh, impacts them. Uh, I'd agree with you on that.
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, one other quick thing um, on on this game, I thought as well was just, and I, I know we spoke about it before, but the 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 insistence to play out wide to swing it into the box to just Edward, mm. um, it's it's just really bad decision making. It's just
1: you know that Edward has now gone three games all 90 minutes without scoring a goal. And that's the first time uh, in this season that he's had any sort of scoring gap of that sort in the league. Um, I had a look at um, some stats bomb radars for him, and I'll, I'll tweet these out later. But I had a look of a radar from the Rodgers period this season, and then I had a look at the radar from the Lennon period this season for Edward, and it's really quite striking, the, the difference. So he's still, he's actually shooting more under Lennon um, but um, they're not as good opportunities, so they they might be headers. Um, if he's having to you know go for these crosses, or they might be more speculative shots from the edge of the box if they can't break teams down. So he's shooting more, but not as good quality shots. He's setting up uh, far less for his um, teammates, um, and he's taking fewer dribbles. So in terms of his profile now, he he is becoming more just a, a kind of sort of penalty box uh, striker where all his output really is shots, whereas before under Rodgers it was a more broader profile where he had more kind of interaction with others, setting up for others, dribbling and and so on, and making good shots. So that's quite troubling that um, you can see that sort of impact already in in how that player's profiling. And I I really don't think that the style that they're doing with the the number of crosses that they're making now, I saw a, a stat by somebody else on Twitter, it's, it's in effect doubled under Lennon um, as opposed to Rodgers. And not only is the number of normal cro- crosses just doubled, they're higher crosses as well. So it's not the kind of effective cutbacks that you might see Man City using um, where Raheem Sterling gets a cutback or there's has been relatively similar stuff for Celtic for maybe Sinclair to get a cutback. These are proper high crosses from deeper positions that are even less effective at resulting in goals. And they're making almost double per match of those so a more ineffective way of playing plus it doesn't suit the forward that you have in there plus not even just edward but who else in that celtic team in the attacking part of it if you are throwing the ball into the box is likely to go in there and win ahead. Or McGregor's not going to do that. I don't think Nietzschean's going to do that. Rodgers isn't going to do that. Forrest isn't
0: going to do that. So I I just don't understand what that's really supposed to achieve. It's strange. It's strange. There's no other word for it. Mm. Um, so we said that uh, this week Celtic would be our team in focus, and you you know you you start to speak about uh, some of the things there in terms of the player. Um, development under Lennon versus Rodgers sorry, the player output yeah. um, one of the things that I quickly want to get your take on um, before we go into this was do you think that teams will start to think twice about now loaning players to Celtic um, I'm just thinking so we, on the bench they had Benkovic, Burke, Toljan uh, Weir wasn't in the squad I'm not sure if it was confirmed if that was injury related or not mm. but these four players haven't really had the minutes that I think we expected. Um, certainly since Lenin uh, came back in, and I'm not sure if that's the case of he's thinking that those players aren't going to be there next year. Well, I think to answer this, you would have to really know the detail of
1: what's going on, and also take it on a case-by-case basis for the players that might prospectively come. So I'm not sure if I could give like a, a black or white answer, but certainly we can talk about that. So in terms of Lenin, Having these loneies on the bench um and even We not on the squad um and Weir kind of posted some sort of you know kind of message of support to the teammates the day before the match, so he clearly knew that he wasn 't going to be selected for for some reason. I was wondering and this is completely speculation but you you might say that perhaps Lennon wants to keep the people that he knows are going to be there next season uh on side um you know you kind of consolidate your power base to then strengthen your case to be the manager at least among the squad if you know you probably already got Scott Brown on your side because they're friends and you know they've gone through you know a lot in terms of playing and stuff Together, um, but then if you can get all these other people who are actually going to be around next season on your side as well, then you build a pretty good base. Um, that means it's maybe less likely for the board to look for a different manager. Um, so that that's a possibility. Now, in terms of what you're saying about affecting other clubs sending players to the to Celtic, I, I think that Rodgers must have been an attraction. So the fact that you you know you had somebody like Brendan Rodgers in place. That's probably going to boost the chances of Celtic securing players, whether that's a loan or a transfer. How much not having somebody that impacts you, I guess that matters. on a. You could answer that on a case by case basis. It really depends on the player and the, the club he's coming from and stuff. But um, you, you could say that this might potentially have an impact. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing if Celtic maybe struggle to get so many loan players. Um, I think they might want to have a think about how they're approaching recruitment in that area. Um, but certainly you, you don't want your options limited, right, as a club. So, you know, you, you, you might be a little bit worried about that. But then what's your solution? Do you think the board should be telling Lennon who he has to play? Do you think they should be saying no. you have to play these loan players because they'll affect our chances of getting more loanies? Yeah. No,
0: I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as saying that you have to play them. But I just find it interesting when... So, Benkovic hasn't played in three games. Burke hasn't played in three games. Well,
1: Ayer uh, and Samunovic have been doing really well. So, I, I think you would say... Benkovic was, has been phenomenal this season. I would say he's he's definitely... As much as I really rate Ayer, I'd say Benkovic is definitely their best centre-back. He's, he's going to be a serious talent. Um, but, you know, if you have a good pairing... And particularly if you do have one eye on the next season and you know you're going to lose a lot of defenders, Boyata's probably not going to be there Um, and so on, you might be thinking, much like St Johnston, well, let's make sure we solidify this potential partnership for next season. But anyway, carry on. I I didn't mean to kind of derail you. I do take the the general point.
0: Yeah, it's just it was the same with, you know, Burke. He's the same. He's not not really... He's last played um, eight minutes against... I think it was at Livingston I seen that was the last time he played so that was on the 6th of April he played 8 minutes for Celtic Mm -hmm. Toljan, uh, I put on Twitter, how bad must Toljan be if Izagiri's the first choice left-back? Well, I, don't, I mean,
1: yeah, I know Toljan can play left-back, but I think given he's already struggled to show that he's a cert pick at right-back, they might naturally be a little bit wary to start him in his kind of secondary position. But I, I, I guess it was interesting. I had a feeling that Lennon might turn to some of the more experienced, even putting aside the idea that he was maybe kind of consolidating power and might push some of the loanies to the side. I did feel that Lennon might turn more to some of the old guards, like Lustig, people that are reliable. He he wants he you would you know you would assume he doesn't want to take too many risks at this point. He wants to get things over the line, um, and you know you maybe go for the experience, the kind of solidity, the conservatism that Lustig brings you over somebody like Toljan, even if. You know, put, putting aside how Toljan's been playing and the fact he's not been amazing he's still clearly better going forward than Lustig is but I, I had a feeling that, that Lennon might turn that way um, and, and yeah you, you maybe feel you want a more natural left back in Izagiri than Toljan
0: Yeah it's it's just I just find it a bit strange again I'm going to the Kilmarnock game um, when you know that Kilmarnock are going to sit in Toljan, who, who, his strength is the attacking phase sure, so absolutely. that's you know just seems like it's a bit naive in terms of setup, Um But I guess that's looking from the outside in. Um, so in terms of Celtic, then, how do you think they've been progressing um, in the last sort of few weeks under Neil Lennon? What's your sort of takeaway, Owen? Um, well, I guess the first thing you would have to say is that
1: they've had, what, 14 points from a possible 18 points in the last six league games. So that's still really, really good, right? We, we should be clear about that. They're still, in course, potentially for a treble-treble. been unbeaten and i think it's 20 domestic home games now in the season um so lennon would have you know you would you would have to say that in terms of results lennon has done fine but i think that watching the games um you know looking at the the stats of what's happened and so on um it's not been great going forward i think there has been a big drop-off in terms of the the quality of chances they've made we've spoken there about the Um, increase in crosses, the kind of stylistic change, there's been times when it's been really difficult to watch the midfield, you know, Brown, um, as opposed to perhaps the part of the season when uh, McGregor was kind of playing in a sort of deep line playmaker role and had maybe Rogic and Christie ahead of him, now with it being Brown in there again collecting the ball, and it's it's a bit slow and plodding and um, yeah, countless crosses, so in terms of on the play um, progress, um, not not great, I would say. Um, but the results are still sort of there.
0: What What about you? Yeah, much the same. I think it's it's. I guess if you're if you're Peter Lawwell on the Celtic board, do you just look at the output opposed to how you get there? So, um, does does the style matter as long as you're winning? Um, well, that's a good question. So I would say that right now,
1: I guess. I think the the focus within, and obviously this is absolute speculation, but I would imagine that the focus within Celtic is so much on 10 in a row right now um, that, you know, clearly the, the decision makers such as Law will be thinking about what it is that they want, um, but perhaps their focus is just winning, you know, the league uh, for these next couple of seasons. Um, and getting that over the line that may be really all they care about you might think there might be other things that they should care about so should they be thinking about playing good football and whatever reasons you might have for doing that um should they be thinking about the champions league for next season and the importance of getting to that so then thinking about do they need to recruit early do they want to get a sporting director in um do they want to be set up for So there's quite a lot of players that are perhaps coming to the end of their career at Celtic. Um, Do they need some sort of overall refresh, um, like a new cycle, a transition into that? Can they approach it in that they want Lennon to win the league for up to ten in a row, but during that period they essentially just focus on the league and do a kind of squad rebuild, and then after that they can bring in a new manager, um, maybe a sporting director at that point, and have a more progressive approach then? Um, so I I guess it's difficult to say it'd be really interesting to understand what they think their priorities are and what's most important to them it feels to me like at the moment sort of everything's important but there's not exactly a purpose so it's like kind of trying win everything but it's not really clear how we manage to do that 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 would be how I would kind of see it
0: yeah I think The other thing that I started to take away from this as well when I was looking, so today um, I think David Wagner um, was announced at Schalke, um, or is about to be announced at Schalke. Uh, Obviously we know that uh, we spoke last week about Oliver Glasner being announced for Wolfsburg, Marco Rose uh, being announced at Gladbach. So I feel like the list of potential candidates for Celtic um, is getting smaller and smaller, which makes the window bigger and bigger for Neil Lennon.
1: You're right. Um, the the Bundesliga is going to be an exciting league to watch next season if that's what you're saying. Um, but yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of Celtic, yeah, there's um, these managers are potentially slipping through their hands. I mean, Ren, Julian, Stefan, somebody we mentioned they you know won the, the the French Cup against PSG the other night, so that's another name. I'm not saying that we were thinking about him before other people were, but that's his stock inflated even higher. Um, so yeah, you, you're right. All these people seem to be getting moves and. and do do you feel that that just increases the chances it will be Lennon next season?
0: Yeah, I think. Um,
1: I think that's pretty much a cert now. I, I don't yeah, know. I
0: I can't see it being anyone else. Um, we spoke about the the odds uh, for this a while ago, um, but just a quick recap just now. So David Moyes is now the second favourite. It's no longer um, Roberto Martinez, who it was for a while, um, mm. which I don't think either of us thought was likely to happen. Mm. Um Rafa Benitez is still there. I don't see that one happening. Mm. Um the only one that I thought was worth mentioning was uh I sent it to you and there's a picture where it looks like um where it's Peter lawwell Jose Mourinho, and it looks like uh Andre Vilas Boas together. Um it's not confirmed when that picture is from, but someone on Twitter has said that it was from a weekend with Celtic where Celtic were confirmed that uh scouting a game in France. Um so it looks like they met up in France. Um Again, that's not confirmed, but... um. Having looked at that photo, I am certain that's not a photo of Jose Mourinho
1: after he's been through his ordeal at Manchester United. (laughs) (laughs) The wild eyes are gone, the hair is nicely trimmed. So either he's had a really quick turnaround in how he's feeling or this is pre that experience. That's my take on that. But hey, somebody on Twitter said it was recently, and it's you know the new Celtic manager. Um, <laughs> so I, personally, I I think that Lennon is a cert for the job now. I, I think in terms of how you view that um uh, and the other managers they might have had, it all comes down to what it is that Celtic want to be and what they want to do. Right? I, th- I think that's the question that they kind of. We need to ask about them and they need to ask about themselves really, you know so you know that, that would be kind of what it would come down to for me
0: yeah and I think just to, to sort of finalise this point just on what I mentioned there as well about Celtic were scouting uh, a game it was a league two game um, I think it was Paris um, and they were rumoured to be scouting a Silas Wamangatuku I don't know how you pronounce that or if I could, if anyone can pronounce it any better um, oh,
1: somebody could definitely pronounce that better <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> might not be me, though. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, so we'll just call him Silas for the purpose yeah. of this part. Um, That's so a yeah. good name. <laughs> um and one thing I wanted to just question to you, so how do you think uh, a new manager would feel? Do you think that would be off putting to know that they're all, they're already looking at targets for next season that might not be with your that might not be the sort of player that you would want for your profile that might not want for you well, might not fit i mean would,
1: would you would you not be worried to think that a club didn't have an active state network i i think i mean so clubs look at loads of people all the time it doesn't really mean anything necessarily There, this guy silas that has numerous scouts looking at him so there were lots of people there celtic may well just feel obligated to go just you know to keep connections and, and stuff it doesn't necessarily mean that you're trying to secure a deal Right now, it might just mean that you're in the circle for a couple of seasons down the line or whatever, in case he goes to PSG and then you need a loan after you sell Watson Edward or <laughs> whatever. So um, but it's a serious point, right? So yeah, um I think you just as a manager accept that the scouting all the time. Um, the the second part to that is really I, I guess that depends on how what the model is gonna be at Celtic. So let let's say that the idea is to say that um we're going to be really progressive. We're going to decide that, okay, manager churn is not necessarily a bad thing. We're not really in an era now where we have, um, you know, an Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger here for 20 years. We're going to have maybe somebody come in and do a project for two or three years. Um, And we're going to maybe have somebody above them, um, hopefully not Lowell, but an actual um, sporting director or something of that nature that makes the recruitment decisions. Um, And then, you know, essentially, we're going to define a philosophy, a style of play and an approach to recruitment and um, selling. Uh, And the manager is going to be involved in that process, but he might not be the number one decision maker. So these things are going to be going on all the time. Uh, And he'll have his bit of input. And so will the other key parties within the club for those kind of things so i i don't know if that would really put off um most modern managers do you think that marco rose decides on every player that comes to rb salzburg absolutely not Um, so you know these things are not um you know out of the ordinary i i don't know if that would worry most of the managers that you might hope to see celtic um maybe be linked with these days it might um impact how some managers um perceive it, but like, that might be an indication that maybe that's not the sort of person you want to work with if they're you know obsessed with having ultimate control over him.
0: Which uh the rumours of Jose Mourinho uh which is obviously <laughs> completely unfounded, but um his odds were slashed and he's now in the running to be the Celtic manager according to the bookies. Um, because of this one photo, do wow, not really need to get Photoshop and start laying some <laughs> put you some, in a picture uh, with well. <laughs> no, just,
1: just no, just to Lay some dodgy bets and then cash out on them quickly. That's ridiculous. The idea, I mean, okay, anything can happen in football, but um, Jose Mourinho is not going to be Celtic's manager. Let's be clear on that.
0: Well, to be to be fair, and uh, I think one quick thing on on manager and odds, um, we managed to get odds on some of our shouts for the next sure. Scotland manager, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, uh, so clearly Twitter has an influence on that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, we said that we would speak about. Um so obviously it's been the Champions League uh tonight it was the semi-final between Ajax and Tottenham where Ajax won 1-0 um and there was just a bit of a, an, an overview of how could Celtic potentially emulate an Ajax model or cuz Celtic are obviously in the best place to do it um Rangers still have got a lot to to sort out but it feels like Celtic are in the a, a position where they could look to try and copy that sort of model what's your sort of take on that one uh, well, I guess you would have to define what you mean by copy and what you mean by the Ajax model. Um, do you want to have a go at that? Or Sure. So I guess okay. my, my thinking was to start with, so obviously the, the Ajax Academy is what it's, it's it's renowned for. Tonight, six players playing in the Champions League semi-final all came through Ajax's uh, academy at some point. Um, and a lot of them are going to go for uh, a lot of money. Um, so I guess the thing that I started thinking about is, why is it in in Scottish football that we don't really see that? Why is there this persistence to sign players um, rather than give young players the opportunity? Because I, I just fe- I feel like they're not given enough time to to get used to the the game, um, and they go on numerous loan spells. Which you know, speaking to someone who's went uh, on lo- loan to clubs and. Uh, And has said that there's times where his parent club didn't even ask him how he was getting on. They didn't send scouts to the game. Um, So I just wonder for a young player, is that the best thing that our clubs could be doing? Um, Whereas we just spoke about Celtic, you know, for example, uh, Burke, Toljan, Weah. um, You know, these players, if they're not in your plans, or when Neil Lennon knew that, then why not, why even bother giving them the, the space? Uh, on the bench why did for them to sit there when you've got you know guys that you could be potentially bringing through in your academy and again in terms of fans i think fans will always give a younger player more time and more of a chance opposed to a lone player or a uh, a foreign player um
1: have you have you have you sat in a stadium recently? I'm, I'm not sure if the um, the the expectations and the patience level is is quite what you um you know draw it as there. But I, I I do take your point. You know people are relatively understanding for young players. Um, I, I guess a couple of quick things in relation to that. So your point about the loans in at Celtic is really interesting. I had a quick look. So there's there's five players in on loan at Celtic at the moment. Um, you know Burke and Benkovic and and Wea and so on. Um. If you compare that to some other clubs that I guess... So, I mean, I, I, I kind of wouldn't say that it's possible to emulate Ajax um, or that's necessarily what you should be doing in terms of, you know... But we can look at some comparable teams in some sort of comparable leagues. So, for instance, Ajax and PSV um, in the area division. So, Ajax have one loney e in their first team squad at the moment. PSV have none. Um, Porto... And Benfica in the Portuguese top league, they both have one player in their squ- their first team squad that's in on loan to them. Uh, Genk, who are leading the Belgium first division at the moment, they only have one player that's in their squad that's in on loan. And um, RB Salzburg, who, who you know obviously in the Austrian Bundesliga, they have no players on loan in their first team squad at the moment. And Dino Zagreb, who are you know kind of top team in, in Croatia, they have no uh, loan players in their first team squad at the moment and um, Norwich, who've topped the championship in England, and are going up to the Premier League, they just have two players in on loan at the moment in their first team squad. So I thought that was quite a stark contrast. It's kind of interesting to see that difference. What, what what do you think? Does that kind of back up what you?
0: Absolutely, and I guess, so when you just mentioned a, a number of those clubs there, especially the European ones, they're all associated with, you know, developing players, selling them on for big fees. Um, so every one of those clubs, have. Every one of those clubs have, has got that model.
1: The thing, the thing I would say though, um, in terms of trying to emulate what you were saying about the academy and bring you know players through, there are some elements of that that I think are if we're taking Celtic and potentially as we said this could apply to Rangers as well. But for the moment we're talking about Celtic, there are some things that are potentially out with your control as a club, um, in in terms of doing similar. So the the things I would flag up as very obvious things are. Um, in, the, in, in the Netherlands, um, Ajax, PSV and I think AZ and Utrecht have second teams, the, the young teams in the second division at the moment. Um, they can't be promoted, but they certainly get very high level um, you know, professional um, experience there. And, and that's the, the same in uh, Portugal for Benfica, Porto and Sporting Lisbon. So they have B teams in the second division. Um, so, and you know, then you have teams like RB Salzburg, who have a, a sort of feeder club, Liefering, um in the second division there, that they have their young players in effect at. So that's maybe something that the those clubs have as a benefit based on league structure um, that Celtic wouldn't have. The other thing is that a lot of these leagues also have fewer games. Um, domestically, which I think has a kind of a, a fairly big impact on maybe Celtic's ability to do well in Europe. Um, so at this point in the season, there's multiple players for Celtic, even though they've not gone that deep in Europe this season, that have got more than 50 games so far. Um, quite a lot of these other leagues that we've mentioned have um, fewer teams in them, or at least they play fewer matches um, in a season. They also maybe don't have as many domestic cups, and even if they do have um, domestic cups, there's a lot of pressure for Celtic to win absolutely every tournament that they're in, you know, Um and I think that can maybe then limit you in terms of being able to bring in younger players, in terms of being able to focus maybe on the things that might um, get you more money or get you better players like progressing in Europe because of, you know, obviously Europe starting pretty early for, for teams like Celtic in the season. Um, so I think that's also a kind of structural issue in terms of the, the number of games you play in the league, number of games you play in a season that might be to some extent out with your control. And the other thing in terms of having an academy that brings through good players is, well, a country to the Netherlands where Ajax is, they have a, a long history of developing players to a very high technical and technical level. Um, so the players that are coming into the academy, the players that are going through the academy, um, they are are going to be of a certain level. I, I don't think we have that here. Obviously, that can be worked on. Things can be improved in certain ways, but that, that might be a little bit of a, a difficulty. It means you can't exactly just say, let's emulate Ajax, and suddenly overnight, you've got um you know players of the level of Frankie de Jong and you're getting to a Champions League semi-final. That's, that's just not practical.
0: Sure, of course, I'm not, I'm, by no means am I saying this is an overnight fix and and you can just lift and shift a, a model as, as simple as it was positioned. I know that this is a, a long-term strategy, but it just appears to be a, a long-term strategy that isn't thought about.
1: I don't disagree that they, they need to think about what it is they want to do and, and how they want to do it. And certainly there's lots of elements that they could consider in terms of um, academy stuff and in terms of recruitment stuff and, and in terms of um, the structure. I mean, and you know, I actually have... Um, people who are uh, ex-footballers, but smart ex-footballers like Van der Sar, who was doing a masters in um, some sort of sports-related um, discipline. Um, he's now in you know a kind of um, CEO role, and Marco Overmars is in as the director of football role. So you know these are things that they've got that certainly you could look at doing if there's you know something similar. Yeah, um,
0: and I th- I think I- again again. A lot of this comes down to not just your academy, but your recruitment. And there was one, I looked through all the transfers that Celtic and Ajax made between 2015 and 2019. Um, so, and you know, straight away, there's going to be arguments that Ajax are spending you know large sums of money. Um, and they're only able to do that because they're able to sell their players. Um, but that goes back to the start of what their model is. Um, so there was one transfer that stood out in particular for me. Um, 2015, uh, Ajax sign Adries Mulik for two and a half million pounds from Bayer Leverkusen. The same transfer window, Celtic sign Nadir Chifchki for 1.5 million and Kazim Richards. And I thought to myself, what the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> how 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 can they possibly think that 1.5 million for Chifchki and Kazim Richards like? And Milik wasn't an unknown. He's not uh, a name where you know you would be completely shocked if Celtic were were in for him at that point. Uh, he'd played a few games for by Leverkusen, then dropped out of the squad. Um, had had caps for Poland at this point. Um, so and and Celtic have obviously had connections with the the Polish market as well. Um, in terms of you know uh, Boric and uh, Brozek going back. Uh, But yeah, I think that's just, it was just insane when I seen that. And then to top it off, a year later, Milik was sold for £30 million. Um, I'm not saying that by any means Celtic could have got £30 million had Milik been playing in the Scottish Premiership. But he probably would have scored more goals here than he would have in uh, Holland. And again, I know this is very football manager-esque. It's not always as simple as that. Um, But just in terms of strategy, recruitment that was one that i just stood at and thought jesus what how did that happen
1: uh yeah i don't disagree there's been plenty of missteps I, I guess you could say in terms of recruitment in for celtic over the last few years um and the squad um it could maybe be argued as uh, a, a bit of a mess um, you know there's kind of issues throughout um uh, and the the you know the style of you know how how they've approached things from you know the fact that people were let go very very late in the window um, and then they're relying on loans coming in in January and f- you know for what purpose yeah absolutely there's no question that the recruitment
0: could be smarter yeah and I, I, and again just I, I don't want to go through obviously every transfer but another one that stood out for me was Celtic spent three million pounds on Abu'i uh, Um and that uh, since 2016 Kouassi has played a grand total of nineteen games. I know he had an injury at work. Well,
1: he's been he's been I'm I'm still quite positive on Kouassi, um so uh, you'll probably get a reaction out of me with that one. Um I mean he's had a, a, a significant injury, right? So we need to be a wee bit fair in terms of if we're gonna look at it on minutes played. Um I I uh, I, I, I kind of am still pretty positive on him. Um will remains to be seen how he can recover from his injury. Um but, but sorry, go on, yeah, go on. what I was what just, was your a bit. Um
0: so Celtic spent 3 million pounds on Kuasi he'd played 18 games um that's how many games he'd played for Krasnodar um before they spent 3 million pounds obviously i know you can't help his injury um but even when he, before he got injured um he wasn't really near the squad um it just seems like as, as what not when I'm I'm trying to think about it logically. How did Celtic see a player play 18 games and for a team like Celtic, 3 million is quite a big investment. How did that... You know, that seems like quite a big gamble.
1: Well, it's obviously a gamble, but, you know, this may be a gamble that pays off. If he hadn't had the injury, for all, we could be looking at this from the other perspective entirely and saying that this has been the sort of deal that you might encourage. For me to see um, a young Ivorian midfielder who... To me looks like he has got a pretty good skill set something that is adaptable potentially to other leagues um to get him in yeah three millions a reasonable amount of money but it's not out of the realms of potentially what celtic should be speculating on somebody that's young um you, you could imagine a scenario in which he really develops and then in two or three years they're able to sell him for for you know triple quadruple that so i i, I take your point in general um about the recruitment but Something like Kwasi, I say, is maybe the sort of gamble that perhaps Celtic could be making. But these are things that I guess the point there is that it's it's easy to pick and choose on these ones. And, and really, maybe what you'd be wanting is to understand more um, for Celtic to show that there's an overall strategy um and, and to start showing some more successes and, and make sure that the squad is managed better so there's not this kind of overload of all these attacking midfielders but all these worries about um defence when there's, you know, holes at full back and centre backs leaving and um all these kind of things and uh you know perhaps a, a, a lack of um um clarity about you know exactly how their recruitment works.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's I I mean we can say that we can look forward to two years of Neil Lennon signing Players, <laughs> I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> um, bring on it, bring on F.E. F- <laughs> <Ambers. laughs> so, um, we also said that we would have a, a quick chat about um, so, uh, some of the strips that have been uh announced for next season. Um, so Rangers announced or sorry, presented their new strip from Hummel. Um, personally, thought that uh, the the home one originally when I first seen it, I wasn't too keen on it, but then there was another picture that came out of it and it's I actually think it's one of the one of the nicest strip ranges I've had in a long time. Um and was also really impressed with the third kit, the black one. Um and uh I'll let you talk about the away strip. <laughs> Of the away strip's an Aberdeen <laughs> kit, which is weird. <laughs>
1: what a strange choice that is! Um, yeah, is that but, just uh, a uh, fair play to them? more <laughs> could well be. Aye, it's the most concomitant uh, strip choice I- I've seen in <laughs> a while. <laughs> but yeah, I-, I agree with you. It's a pretty nice cam. You know, most two mo kits are going to be pretty good, but uh, I think the chevrons are on the shoulders this go around on the home strip, which is. I I guess where I would say they should be on a home top, um, and it looks like yeah the 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 third kit if that is the third kit the kind of darker one, that looks really nice too. So they've done pretty well. Um, again, I would come back to just my point about Rangers kits, which is that if possible, um, when they're wearing their home kit, they shouldn't be pressed into doing a, a full uh, like blue shirt, blue shorts, blue socks. Um, if if they're having to change for. Um, whatever the other team's wearing so as long as they don't do that they can wear whatever kit they want I, yeah. um, I do.
0: I do think overall it was a, a nice set of kits um, I think there's um, maybe the Aberdeen one not so much but uh, the other two certainly were um, and one of the questions that I wanted to get your opinion on is why do we need third kits
1: uh, to make money, right? <laughs> so that's the that's the only answer, isn't it, right? I mean, there, there's really no need for it other than that. I, I, I would assume, apart from some really rare occasion where there was two teams that maybe have picked really dumb things, like uh, they've got red and white stripes for their home top, and then white and red stripes for their way tops, and the other team's got white and red stripes for their home top, and red and white stripes for their (laughs) way top. I don't know, it's just a complete uh, mindfuck when they get together to play, but um, yeah, I mean, you've got a third strip to make more money from your fans, haven't you, right? That's it.
0: Yeah, I I guess, but then I I started thinking about that, and that's obviously the the obvious answer, but then, without obviously knowing the detail, I'd be interested to know the the volume of units that were sold uh, overall, to then see and then if you were to not produce the third kit to see whether that overall volume of units was that different
1: because okay to what well, just more people buy the home or away if a third's not yeah. available i would imagine that these things fluctuate a fair bit based on um how the team's doing and the actual quality of that particular kit um but that would be an interesting if 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 anybody listening has access to that kind of secret information hit us up yeah we'd, we'd love to see that that'd be good uh yeah um, do do the most of the the most of the Scottish Premiership teams have third kits? Do you think? I have to say I'm a wee bit um, unsure I about that. I
0: can't say that I can think of many. To be perfectly honest, i yeah.
1: had um, I'd a, i a, a look at all the away. There was an article I did for Pure Football uh, kind of looking at you know fan experience, and I did have a look at all the away kits, um, but I I didn't look at third kits. I, I guess you know some of them will some won't, but yeah. Aye, um, are you saying that the third kit should end? Is that your your take on this?
0: Uh, my without any data to back it up, yes. All <laughs> hmm. uh, <Okay. laughs> <not> right, <laughs> hot, hot take. Um, so from one sort of well, one decent uh, kit release to a not so good re- kit release at Air United. Um, I don't even know if we want to get into this or not, but Air United. I will, I will. Um, I will. Uh, so Air yeah. United released their home and away strip with uh, body paint, uh, which they've done for the last few years. My first take on it is that it's incredibly tacky um, and outdated. Uh, I don't think that's the way to attract people to your brand. Um, I think it's obviously got a huge sexist implications when you ask the male model to wear shorts, but then the female model wears like pants effectively. Um so you're not even having a, a parity there which is pathetic. Um and I just think that it's so it's like desperately seeking attention is how it, it comes across to me.
1: I I completely agree with that. Um but the the, the sponsor, the, the the kind of kit sponsor and so on, has formed for this. So the Air United um kit sponsor was um a a kind of entertainment company called bodog that's founded by this guy calvin air i think he's canadian and their current kit sponsor bitcoin uh, something whatever one of these delusional pyramid schemes and environmental drains that masquerades as a currency um he he's also the the kind of person involved in that and i think he's got form for kind of attention-seeking antics of this nature. But yeah, that that wasn't good to see at all. Um, and I think they've again kind of made claims that in some way it's not sexist. And I guess they would say that because there's both a man and a woman um, posing. But as you pointed out, they are dressed quite differently. Um, the woman is certainly not dressed as a footballer, whereas you could potentially say that the guy is. Yeah, and it's a pity because I think, although it's a kind of template number, um, it's Adidas, yeah. isn't it? I think it's quite similar, in fact, to the Ajax kit that was worn tonight, the Away one um, with the kind of um you know kind of stripe um uh, at the shoulders and then a second stripe over the shoulders it's quite a nice kit um you know for a template kind of kit um so it's a pity that um yeah it's disgraceful yeah. what they've done i think again
0: so i just wanted to get a quick a quick take from you what's been your favorite kit overall i know we've spoken about this before but if you had to pick one strip that's just your your strip what would it be from from the scottish league or in general, let's go in general.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, probably Sampdoria kits, I would say, maybe. Um, so I, I quite like things that have um, maybe kind of classic and modern elements. If there's a kind of stripe, but not stripes up and down, maybe a geometric shape, then I'm into that. So, yeah, maybe something like Sampdoria. Um, obviously, the classics like West Germany all that kind of stuff. And um, these, these are fairly ob- obvious things. I quite like... Um, blue colors so like teal light blue turquoise so something with that i'm a bit of a sucker for or an all black kit but with some kind of flashes of color that's kind of what i like what about you
0: uh, i was thinking about this as well and, and a, a strip that i went actually thought was the one that um i opted for dortmund just because oh, i yeah. feel like it's as it's, it's really quite iconic hmm. there's not that many teams that play in sure. in yellow um yep so I, I think that's something, that, and it brought me back to thinking about Lars Ricken's goal uh, mm. in the Champions League. Um, and obviously, it's memories. Uh, so yeah, they've had some amazing goals, uh, rather amazing strips, um, like the
1: more fluorescent ones. I, I guess the fluorescent yellow from back in the nineties when it was Nike and they had like the Continental Tire yep. sponsor. There were some sensational ones there, but I think you're right. Like the the pure yellow color and black. What I think that does really well is it works quite well with what with your fans. It's quite an impressive colour in the stadium. Um, you know, I think that quite you know works quite well in terms of banners and people wearing stuff and things. Obviously, they've got the benefit of you know things like the yellow wall and and that. But yeah, I, I agree with you. That's a yeah,
0: brilliant colour scheme. Great kit. Yeah. Um. So just to finish off this episode, we said that we would pull together a not the old firm starting eleven uh, for player of the season. So, um, what we'll do is, will we do it position by position or just team v team? How do you want to do this? Um,
1: we just do a team by team, and, and we can each say a wee bit about each player as we go through. Let's go for it. That'd be yep. right? okay. You want to go first, yep. or me? Yeah, I'll, you...
0: I'll start. So, um, okay. my my team started with uh, Xander Clark as my goalkeeper. Um, Clark has got fourteen clean sheets this season, uh, joint with Scott Bain, Alan McGregor, and uh liam kelly clark also has according to the spfl stat center uh the most saves mm. in the league he's got a, okay. 108 saves um so i'm not sure where that data comes from or what it is but it's there and you can view it um okay so do, do, do you want me just
1: to give my should we do position by position I'm let's sorry go for it yeah that's fine but, okay So I I went for Daniel Bachman as goalkeeper. Um, And yeah, for for once, you have more stats than me. Um, So I'm not entirely sure that number of saves is something that I particularly care about um, for for a goalkeeper. Um, Because, I mean, you could just be playing in a team that faces a lot more shots. But certainly that's good. Um, And yeah, I I, I quite like Clark too. Yeah, he made a bit of a weird save in the the, the game at the weekend. Um, He... Aye, ah, it was a, a really strange kind of reflex one against St Mirren from like distance early on, where he like kind of just flicked off his wrist over the bar. That's a total side <laughs> point. It was a, just a weird save. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a fan of him too. I think there's quite a few reasonable goalkeepers outside of Celtic and Rangers in the league this season. But, but yeah, Backman's like my guy.
0: Cool. Uh, so left back, I opted for Greg Taylor from Kilmarnock after said he was the most uh, or one of the most underrated players in the league. I could not select him, so that was my <laughs> left back. <laughs> Um, okay who did you go for I,
1: yeah i went for max low um of aberdeen who i, I think i'd kind of said that i felt was um fairly underrated as well um somebody that gets through a lot of uh tackles a lot of interceptions um but also does quite a lot of dribbles and when he does tackle he, he tends to win a really really high percentage of them i think also he does the kind of traditional stuff like blocking crosses closing down his man really well so max low for me on the left
0: yep uh, so, two centre-backs will do these as a pair. So, I, I will go on for John Souter from Hearts uh, and hopefully John Sutter's partner for next season, uh, Craig Halkett. Um, I feel that that would be, uh, you know, actually that's a good partnership for Hearts in general for next season. Uh, Halkett's got a, a good goal threat in him uh, and Souter's quite comfortable on the ball. I know he didn't have a great game in the Edinburgh Derby, but... I was about to bring that yeah, up. <laughs> um, he did... Uh, he did um, have a bit of a nightmare. Um, but overall, was I'd say he's the best centre-back out with anyone. In, well, in fact, you could probably argue he's in the top three centre-backs if you include Rangers and Celtic. Sure. Um, yeah, I think there's a bunch of pretty good centre-backs. Um, I went for
1: Halkett as well. Um, just to be a wee bit different, I, I would say that Suter and McKenna are obviously very, very good. But I went for Popescu of St Mirren. Who i've been really impressed with since he came in um so yeah that, that's my pick alongside hal Kip at the back cool
0: uh and right back i've gone for stephen o'donnell um i think this was actually a position when i was looking through it i felt overall in the league isn't that strong um so
1: yes that's the exact same as me and i've ended up with the same choice as you <laughs> we haven't we've not shared these with each other before this so um yeah, that's, I don't know unfortunate
0: or maybe a resounding uh, thumbs up for Stephen O'Donnell <laughs> uh, whatever way you, you look at it but that was my pick as well so I think one thing to quickly caveat when we go into the midfield I opted for a diamond because as I mentioned previously I'm a big fan of the diamond um, so okay Um
1: it's a it's a four two three one for me so um, do you want to give me like two midfielders and then I'll give you my two midfielders and then we kind of go on from there yeah, or, or let's what? let's
0: go for it uh, so I've gone for Peter Haring as my holding midfielder I think he does that role phenomenally well um, he's really good at just you know mopping up play and being there when he needs to be there um, he's quite a I'd say an, he's quite a limited player but he's very functional in what it is that he does um, and he's also got a really good goal threat i feel like my team's quite set physical. pieces yeah
1: yeah you're gonna be a good set piece threat
0: i think um, and then i've opted for uh Gorin from motherwell because uh, i know that we love a bit of Gordon propaganda um, yep. so he'll do all the the ball winning and recycling possession um, pretty well on the team
1: excellent um, yeah I, I like both of those choices um, my two sort of central midfielders are Omiyonga of hibbs who we spoke about a, a bit last week does loads of kind of pressure regrains i think technically he's really good as well and um, maybe still growing in to be able to show that but I, I like him a lot um and i've got um turnbull of motherwell uh, alongside him so i know that's quite a, an attacking midfield but yeah fuck it i'm gonna have fun <laughs> with this team so yeah th- those are my two midfielders Omiyonga and turnbull
0: so I, I also have turnbull um he's he's my he's at the top of my diamond um the other midfielder I have is Stevie Mallon. I think he's had an incredible okay. season. I did think about Omiyonga, but um I didn't want this team to be complete pure football propaganda. Um, <laughs> so okay. so that's my, my diamond. What does your, your next three look like?
1: Um so I've got a kind of uh three of um Naismith as the sort of um you know support striker i guess i think he he's you know had a really good season he was an incredible threat for hearts uh, just a pity that um he ended up with uh, a bit of injury and either side of him i've got um I don't know kind of two halves of the season so i've got greg stewart but i'm picking his comarnock half of the season (laughs) (laughs) Uh, when he was you know really productive and i've got jake hesty um for the the latter half of the season so um that's my kind of two wide players there
0: good good uh up front i've gone for eamon brophy uh and sam cosgrove the standard little and large um i feel like my team uh We've got that physical aspect, so from set pieces when we've got Cosgrove, Halkett, Suter, Haring. Um,
1: yeah, that's a yeah, that's a that's a challenging team to defend against on set pieces, I would bet.
0: Yeah, and uh, Eamon Brophy, I think he's the sort of player that would do really well buzzing off a, a flick-ons from Cosgrove. Um, and I think he's had a, a great season overall, um, and someone that I'm excited for uh, in terms of his development.
1: Okay. I I don't know if I've been as wowed by Brophy this season as I was before. I'm not sure if he's really kicked on for me, but still, um, he's a good choice. I do really like him as a player. Um, My choice up front was, you know, the other guy you picked was Cosgrove. Um, And and again, it was just kind of about the idea of him, you know, maybe adding um, a threat, particularly given I've got kind of two wide attackers and Naismith buzzing around him. So, yeah. That's our teams. Um, I guess we should tweet these out and and see if we get um, some listener shouts on their teams as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, So on that note, uh, you can find us at twitter.com forward slash purefitbar. And you can find some of the fantastic work that Owen does at twitter.com forward slash Owen James Brown. Thank you so much for listening. As ever, please leave us reviews, rate, share, uh, and we'll be back soon. Cheers.
1: Goodbye.